everybody. Welcome back into the weekly wellness podcast. My name is Kevin Crispin. I am the chief of staff for My Pets Wellness. Um, uh, uh, for all of our loyal viewers, you know that I was gone for a while. I have some bad news. I'm back. So uh, <laughs> back here to host everything. And of course, you guys are very familiar with these guys. We have Dr. Jason. How are you doing, sir? Doing great, man. Yeah, executive medical director. And we have Dr. Rodney, our director of wellness and personal growth. How are you, Dr. Rodney? I'm doing really well. All right, awesome. So um, today we're gonna talk about a very broad subject, but a subject that I that I think uh, everyone has dealt with either themselves or at least with somebody they love. Um, it, my brain uh, was going through ways to make light uh, of my struggles with anxiety, and I, I think that I'll, I'll take it a different route and just say that <clears throat> I've struggled with anxiety my whole life. It's something that I try to be as open as possible about. And uh, I'm very proud to be a part of uh, this company and this podcast because we are discussing very important things like this. So um, just want to get that out there. Uh, you know, so anxiety, we've all heard it. Dr. Rodney, I want to, I want to ask you from a clinical perspective, how would you describe anxiety or what is anxiety? Well, like you said, it's a really very broad category. There's different types of anxiety. But when you boil it all down to the facts of the basis of what it's all about, it's related to fear. Um, I'm in a dangerous situation. So the dangerous situation could either be, I'm in, I feel like I'm physically at risk. So if you have anxiety, related to being around people. It's called agoraphobia, fear of the Marcus Blake. If I have a fear of heights, I will get anxious when I'm in those kind of situations when I'm high up. If I have a fear of pets, um, <laughs> some people do, right? Yeah. And so I get anxious when I'm around a pet. It could almost be anything. Another category of anxiety doesn't come from your physical danger. It's danger related to maybe a performance issue. For example, if I'm responsible for uh, something at work and I'm, I'm not sure that I'm gonna be able to meet the mark for the performance, I'm gonna get really anxious. It's actually related to dangers, not physical danger, but my safety is at risk because if I don't perform well, it might impact my job, it might impact my employment, and that's where the anxiety comes from. And then when you get anxious, it's really kind of interesting some typical responses. There's actually a physical response. It's very yep. noticeable. Mm -hmm. You know this. Um, but yeah, you know, my heart that, starts beating really yeah. fast. I could start sweating. I'm very nervous and I'm walking around. I'm pacing. I can't get my mind to stop racing. And basically, when you boil it down to the root of the thing, your mind saying, I'm in danger, I'm in danger, I'm in danger. And, and I don't have control of the situation. If I have control over the situation, if I f exercise some level of control, the anxiety will begin to decrease. What's going on in the brain is those three major chemicals in the middle brain. It's the imbalance between the dopamine and the norepinephrine is what creates the anxiety. Yeah, so, and you were talking about the physical reaction to that. Mm -hmm. um, the pacing, uh, uh, the heartbeats, um, things of that nature, sweating. Um, <clears throat> is that also, would you classify that as, as the body trying to gain control again or distract? Meaning the pacing, if they're, uh, 
you know, I know when I'm anxious, I pace, I count my steps and mm -hmm. it's like a way to try to divert my brain or that's how I've always seen it. So anxiety becomes actually an obsession. So when I'm obsessing about the danger I'm in, I can use another obsessive compulsive behavior as a way to distract myself to associate from the anxiety coming from the dangerous situation. So like you said, if I'm counting steps, I can get obsessive about counting steps because when I'm counting the steps, I stop focusing on the real source of the anxiety or my pacing mm -hmm. is a physical activity that provides energy. And in that way, it distracts me from the actual cause of the anxiety, which is usually something again related to danger. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, yeah that was me in vet school. So yeah, tell we'll talk about that. Vet what school. You mean? <laughs> no, I, 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 it took me probably half of undergrad to figure out how to study and how to prep for major exams. I was fortunate that, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people can cruise through high school, look at a paper, go and get an A. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so we're lucky that way, but then you get to college and it's like, Oh crap, I don't know how to study. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to actually absorb this information. And so when I got to vet school and it's like a year and a half of college every semester, the anxiety around like. I have to do well. Like I wanted to be a surgeon for a while and I was like, you gotta be top one of your class to become a specialist. So I had a lot of pressure on myself and my anxiety for that would turn into OCD to where I wouldn't start studying until I cleaned my room. I had my computer with the PowerPoint over here and the Word document over here. I had the textbook here. I had my class notes here. I had blank lined paper here. I had brand new pens and it had to be set in a very particular way to start studying. And I don't really have OCD tendencies or whatever you want to, however that would count yeah. in anything else in my life, but that's how my, like I had to do that in order to study mm -hmm. for when I was in vet school. I just, it sounds like to me, that's kind of like, a, that's something you could control before you went in to study and feel the danger. I think that Dr. Rodney's mm -hmm. talking about, is, is that a good assessment? Yeah, of that? it would be. Yeah. Okay, great. You know, when I was in uh, chief of staff school, I went through the <laughs> same thing uh, every day. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> let me, can I ask you a follow-up question sure. on the anxiety that you're okay. feeling? When you started to feel that, was that kind of a new thing for you? Uh, at least in, I, it sounded like, yeah. at least in the academic setting, it was a new thing for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had my last year or two of undergrad, I started to figure out a system of how to, how to focus and get, be successful. So I kind of, but that was part of what I, that was part of how it manifested. Yeah, is I, I was getting s stressed about knowing like, all right, well, I'm not gonna get into vet school if I have a 2.0 in undergrad. Uh, so I've got to figure out a better way to go about this as I get into the actually hard classes of undergrad. And it that's just kind of how it, it manifested and went exponential when I got into vet yeah. school. Uh, one other thing I'll say, I've always thought of anxiety, um, I always call it the cancer of belief. It's like, it just, metastasizes and uh i when i experience anxiety it's like i take something like the 2.0 like you were just saying and i create a whole world that doesn't exist and then all of a sudden i live in that world and not in this world and because based on what dr rodney is saying mm -hmm. i feel so unsafe yeah. feel in danger there um so i i totally hear what you're saying yeah yeah um dr rodney how how do people generally diagnose anxiety like how would you uh, diagnose it well, there, even a lay person can do it. Mm -hmm. It's the physical response is what people see. It's the pacing, it's the wringing of hands, it's the sweating, mm -hmm. 
you know, the, the breathing fast. So that part of it is, okay, I know that they're anxious. Um, the cause of the anxiety is differ, difficult to um, determine just by the physical response because it can be anything, okay? So there's a diagnostic criteria for anxiety, okay. but it depends on if it's generalized anxiety disorder or agoraphobia or fear of the marketplace or whether it's a fear of heights or fear of getting ill, those kind of things. So the what you see, the physical response is the anxiety. That's the easy thing to see. You're always worried about something. The worry comes from the what you interpret as the dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. Here's the funny thing, though. In the great majority of these situations, there's nothing to fear. Um, there's no danger at all. Um, it's manageable. You have to understand that fear, anxiety and fear, is a reaction to the situation. It's your interpretation that I'm actually in a dangerous place. Um, But is that really true in most cases? Not actually, okay? Um, And and so um, you, you diagnose those feelings and trying to figure out, okay, what step do we take to try to bring back into control what you feel is out of control? All okay. Right? That's um, a reassuring thing, the way that you just described yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's my understanding that, that um, one in three people suffer from anxiety. So one of the three of us. <laughs> uh, with that being the case, why do you think, and, and this could be, Dr. Rodney, from your perspective, why do you think that's so common? And then Dr. Jason, uh, having worked in the vet field for numerous years, do you think it's common in the vet field and why? So we'll start with Dr. Rodney. Well, first of all, you are right. About one in three people get diagnosed with some form of uh, mental health illness known as anxiety. We all get anxious. There's not a single person on the planet Earth that doesn't even on a daily basis go through a short period of anxiety when they're in a situation where they don't have control and they're worried and they think they're danger around either physical danger or performance related danger. So um, all of us are doing it. What differs from the, um, there's no such thing as normal, but the healthy person is that when you go into the period of anxiety, you work through it and you come back out of it in a fairly short period of time. A person that gets diagnosed, the one in three, stay in a long state of anxiety. And once you get there, for them, it's very hard to come back to a healthy way of viewing things because that obsessive thought is focused on it. And actually, when you get into that state, your obsessive thoughts about what I'm worried about, what I feel is dangerous, takes over and I can't calm down. And every time I think about it, it just gets worse. So my anxiety increases. So all of us go through those periods of anxiety. Um, What was the first question though? Was that it or what? Uh, Well, it was more of why it was so common. Why, okay. Well, don't we all face danger almost every day in some way, shape or form, either physical danger or um, something related to performance? Now, let's say for example, that if you don't have a chronic fear you don't have, you don't feel dangerous around dogs, okay? Mm-hmm. But if you're walking down the street and there's three pit bulls that are not well-trained and they're coming after you, are you going to get anxious? Yes. Okay, now in that case, there is a real danger. So right. I'm not gonna run, okay? But you understand that? So 
Um, but some people have that chronic state of being fearful at all times of certain things. Got okay? it. Okay. So what I have to do is when I feel the fear, which creates the anxiety, I've got to take control of the situation. Now, I know I've said before, control is always an illusion, but there's some ways in these situations you can take control. Um, for example, if I have anxiety because I'm standing right on the edge of the Grand Canyon because I wanted to see right. how cool it was to look right over, it's creating anxiety because what happens if I slip? What happens if I faint? What, I'm going to die. So I have to take control. So what would you do? Take step one back. step back mm -hmm. or maybe two step backs. I can still kind of see over. Or That's taking control of yeah. the situation. So if you have agoraphobia, <laughs> fear of the marketplace, can you actually be around other people? You, yes. Yes, you can, but you don't think you can. Because every time you think about it, the problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. So how do I take control of that situation? Well, it's exposure therapy type stuff. I start with a small group of people and learn how that can be safe there. And then I keep expanding. And eventually you get to the place where when you're in a large group of people, you now feel like you are in control and there is no actual danger. Does that make Got sense? It, it yeah. does. And I think that's something we're going to touch on next week too. I think you're, that's a really good primer for, we're going to talk next week about, about coping with anxiety. But, okay. But so thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Jason, back to you. Yeah. Is this common in the vet field? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Why yeah. do you think it is so common? <laughs> um, I mean, it's everything really the big focus. I think of the vet field is the performance related anxiety. Mm -hmm. I think that most of us don't have physical fears of this career. Most of us don't have a lot of interactions. Oh, and I have to, this was in my brain. I've been bit by more chihuahuas than pit bulls. I love pit bulls. <laughs> I have to say that. Um, that scar I right there. The I know, but everybody <laughs> picks them. The everybody, yes, it did. Everybody picks pit bulls. And I'd say I've been yeah. bit by more chihuahuas than little. Anyways, had to say that. Okay. Uh, and I love you. Yeah. Uh, so as far as why, I, you know, we don't run into a lot of physical fears. It's occasional, you know, really fractious, angry animals, you know, cats or small dogs typically are big ones that we really can't contain. But for the most part, I think a lot of the anxiety in the vet field comes from performance related to a procedure that went wrong. And now I have to go back in the next day and do it again. I had a spay go horribly wrong and I have to go in 20 minutes later and do another spay. On I, a different animal. Yeah. And then you're afraid that you're going to do the same thing. Yeah. Or you have a client that just doesn't listen to anything you say. They go home and they tear you a new one online. And now your reputation's tarnished and you're worried about what that's going to do as a solo practitioner. It's your hospital. It's your name. And they're out there saying things that just straight up aren't true. But it, it, it's now it's out there. And yeah. so you worry about that's going to do for your livelihood. You have a crazy busy day. And at two in the morning, you wake up thinking, oh, I don't, I don't think I called Miss Thompson back about those test results oh, yeah. and her cat needed to come in for the vomiting meds. And now I can't go back to sleep and I can't call her at two in the morning, but maybe I'll send her an email. I I've sent clients emails at midnight because I like wake up and it's like, I don't know if I did this. And so between, do we get everything done in the day? Because a lot of places are overloaded. You know, I had a great conversation with a doctor recently who was put in a situation to see 30 to 40 clients a day. That's insane. 30 to 40. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, um, I don't know how you get through that day and get everything done and write decent records and give appropriate education. So you, you wake up at night thinking, did I finish everything? Yeah. And so between follow-up and communication and complete thorough records and 
worrying about giving all 40 of those people a good enough experience where they don't go home and write online about how bad you are, how much you don't care, or how they only got 10 seconds with the doctor. Whether that's your intention or not, if you're in a situation where you're forced to do that, or it's your own practice and you take all the time in the world and they're upset that it took too long. Uh, and so there's just a lot of things about, did I, are they happy? Is the pet cared for? Did I do a good job? Or if I make this mistake, worrying about making it again. Okay. Yep. Kevin, can I please, say something? Because he did an excellent job of describing the anxiety related to performance. So what's the danger? Well, in actuality, there's, you're probably not going to get fired in most cases. What the real danger is, is it's related to a fear. It's the fear of failure. See, all of those things are related to, I'm going to fail. I can't fail. I'm afraid to fail. It might have uh, implications for my life in a variety of ways if I fail. So when you understand that the performance-driven anxiety is about the fear of failure, you can take control of that by realizing, first of all, that all of us fail occasionally and we get through it and it's going to be okay. And that actually when we fail, we found a way not to do it. And the next time I find we'll learn from that and do it better the next time. So now if I'm not afraid to fail, I'm not going to have as much anxiety when those situations come up. Okay. Um, but I learn as I go along when I fail, but the danger is I, I'm afraid to fail. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's really good explanation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think for the root of what a lot of us struggle with. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, that's one of the things that's scariest to, to us is that yes, it's performance and it's failure, but some of our failures have real consequences. That's true. It took me weeks and multiple methods to process the first time I had a patient die on the table. That was my responsibility. Whether like, I'm not going to get into details of what happened and why and who and this and that, but ultimately no matter if it was going to happen or not, or it was a mistake or whatever it was, it all falls on me. Yeah. And it took me a long, long time to get through that. I still have the letter that I wrote to that family that I never sent. It's two pages. I put it in my journal. That way I could read it to myself whenever I have something like this happen. But as a reminder of like how to get through this and what I would have, it, it was, it took me forever. Mm -hmm. And you know, I had to go back the next day and put another animal under anesthesia. Wow. So, yeah. Get back on the horse, see if you're right you at this time. A, you don't have a choice. Did you do your best? Yeah. Are you perfect? Definitely not. Nobody's perfect? No. Is it possible to make a mistake and not do the procedure properly? No. But did you do your best? Yeah. So what are you anxious about? Do you see where I'm going with it? Yep. Yeah, I mean, and it's, I can hear the voice in my head. It's like, well, yeah. it's letting these people down. It's their family member. It's this. And then I, it's it's all of that that cycles. And as vets, we don't really, it, failure doesn't, like, we're not used to it as a, right. as a group. Like, you have to, it's hard to succeed through undergrad to get into vet yeah. school. It's hard to get through vet school. I mean, I had classmates drop the first semester mm -hmm. that worked all that time to get into vet school. And then within the first four months said, yeah, I can't do this. And so it's failure is not something we're accustomed to mm -hmm. as a breed. And we're not accustomed to being in a clinic or a hospital where the, the owner or admin or corporation says, it's okay if you fail. Like that's never been told to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, they must be pretty perfect people. then. <laughs> right? See, it's the performance fear driven by the fear of failure. Yeah. So then I have to be perfect. And it's that cycle of thought, 
which creates the anxiety because you know you can't be perfect. You know you can't be perfect. I know I can't be perfect and they know they can't be perfect. So what we're really obsessing about is a standard of perfection which is unattainable. So the way I take control of the anxiety related about that is I'm not going to say here I have to do this perfectly because that's too much for anybody to do. I'm going to do the very best I can in this situation. If I do fail, I will learn from that failure. Does it have consequences that are tragic for a family that loses a pet? But see, if you put all that fear on yourself and pressure to be perfect, anybody's going to become anxious. Yeah. You know? Welcome so, to the vet field. Yeah. Now, see, again, all of us do that even on a daily basis, some way, shape, form. But in the vet field, I would think just like in the medical doctor field, constantly you're faced with that pressure to do your best and not make a mistake because there's dire consequences. Yeah. So no wonder, you know, vets have such a high level of anxiety. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a really good place to wrap up for this week because one, I think uh, you have really elucidated well what anxiety is. Also kind of went into some really good um, high level analysis of what the root of that is. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we saw some good examples from Dr. Jason um, in the vet field as a whole. So um, I, I think we'll, we'll wrap up there. It was a very broad topic today. What is anxiety? You know, next week we're going to talk about how, how uh, do we cope with anxiety uh, and some of that, that type of thing. So um, we appreciate you stopping by today. Um, as always, if you're more interested in, you know, our company, what we're doing, you can go to mypetswellness.net. Uh, we have a doctor support group there that meets every uh, Thursday evening at 7, I believe, That's 7 correct. Central. Uh, and you will see uh, Dr. Rodney and Dr. Jason there. Um, but uh, And, of course, we have this podcast every week, and uh, we appreciate you stopping by. Until next time, we'll see you. Thank you guys very Thank much. You. Yeah, Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye.